I'd, I'd been thinking about it for over a decade, and finally, uh, both my wife and also my coach, who I uh, I give a lot of credit to, said, "Like Pete, if you don't do this, you're going to regret this the rest of your life." And you and I were chatting about Seth Godin before this and why you started up this podcast. And they basically said, like, just put up a website. Like, just start. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding, and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. I mean, to kick it off, th- thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, My pleasure, brother. And, and to get into a little bit about you, could you tell me about the beginning of your career and how you got into the beer business? What kind of directed you there other than it was beer? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny story. And I actually think that, uh, you know, my whole career has just been follow, been guided by following what I love to do. So I graduated from university. Everybody else was going off to jobs because, you know, frankly, they had connections to get a lot of uh, nice jobs in places. I didn't come from uh, a corporate family uh, that had, had those types of connections. And so I went into uh, bartending. And, you know, first and foremost, I, uh, I worked at the Unicorn at Young and Eglinton, which, uh, I'm assuming whoever is going to be listening to this, there might be a few people who passed through a Unicorn, uh, freehouse pub uh, at one time, uh, owned by the Irish Rovers. And I spent a year there. I traveled overseas for a year in Australia, Southeast Asia, and I came back, went back into the hospitality industry. And I had a sales rep at a place called Original Hector's where I went back to bar, uh, bartend and, uh, and waiter. And his name was Pat McElhaney. And uh, you might even know Mr. McElhaney. He's I one of those special, uh, one of those special people who as a beer sales rep would come into our bar and wouldn't go talk to the manager. He went and spoke to every one of the waiters and waitresses and the bartenders because what he understood is two things. Human connection and relationships is what makes the world go round. And number two, the people that were actually going to sell his product weren't the manager who was stuck in the office all day doing paperwork. It was the people on the floor who actually interacted with the consumer. So uh, we built an incredible relationship. And uh, when I had gotten to the point where I was ready to move on from being a bartender, he was uh, very kind and helpful in putting me forward for a role at Molson. And after a couple interviews with some of the people at Molson, and it was also, it also happened that my bar was a, a big hangout for a lot of Molson gatherings from their head office, which was a few blocks up the street. So I had the opportunity to get to know a lot of Molson people and, uh, and obviously having a couple strong contacts with the existing sales reps gave me an in to, to get a job as the initial first job was the, uh, Molson sales rep in Pickering, Ajax, Whitby, Port Perry, and Uxbridge, the east end of Toronto. So that was my uh, my first step into the beer business. That's so interesting. I used to live at uh, Young and Redpath, so I w- I went to Unicorn a fair amount. And I don't know if it's still is it still there? No, they tore it down. They built some uh, surprise, surprise. They built some condos in Toronto, and uh, that was another one of the. Uh, one of the, another one of the legendary bars along the Young Eggington Strip uh, that got torn down. 
And so you were in in the world of beer. And did you work in both marketing and sales roles uh, for Molson Coors? Yeah, I started in uh, marketing, and you know, in relation to uh, you know the topic of uh, of your podcast is I was in sales for about uh, three four years. Moved to Young and Eglinton as the Molson sales rep uh, in the the upper North Toronto area for a couple of years. After a couple of years in in Pickering, and then I actually wanted to move into the marketing department because I frankly saw so many things coming out of the marketing department that I thought could have been improved for the the benefit of the sales reps that I figured I had to swim upstream and make some changes. And after after kind of pushing my luck for about a year, asking for the opportunity, I, I went and took an advertising course because I was like, oh, I got to get out of here. I'm going to leave. And uh, I, I the professor of the course that I took the uh, advertising course with offered me a job. And I went into Molson and uh, my boss at the time, uh, I think his name was uh, Gavin Kirk, uh, wouldn't accept my resignation. And uh, thanks to him and to another guy by the name of Mike Ross, in a matter of 24 hours, I had a job in the marketing department uh, working, doing a job that I wanted to do and, and made the career shift that I wanted to. And, you know, that lesson for me was sometimes you got to stand up for what you believe in and what you want. And, you know, certainly it comes with risks. But in that case, it worked out well after kind of pushing the envelope to say, look, I'm leaving if I can't have what I want. And I, I, I see so many people out there, I'm not like that normally, who really are guiding their careers to what they want. And I think that's a really powerful step for people. And do you remember, was that the main, the first main time in your career that you might have truly advocated for what you want or said to yourself, I'm going? Yeah, and I think that was the, you know... Uh, so first off, certainly leaving the bar industry, I had had my time, I'd done my three or four years and it was like, okay, time to get serious. And, you know, funny enough, when I say get serious, I went from, uh, I went from a job that I was making probably over a hundred thousand dollars a year as a bartender to a much lower salary, um, you know, as a, as a paid rep. Um, in, in the beer business and, and wine and liquor at, at other times. And then really Molson was the first time that I really, I would suggest stepped up, uh, because I was in a job. And as I said, I, what I did was because I wasn't happy and I didn't want to be in sales anymore, I figured I had to go get some more expertise. And that's why I went and took a, a sales training or, um, an advertising course because I loved marketing and I loved advertising. And it was only, having taken the course and having the professor of the course offer me a job because he obviously saw something in, in what I was sharing in the class that it actually gave me the confidence to say, okay, well, if Molson doesn't want me in this role, then I can go do it somewhere else. And so, yeah, I think, you know, looking for outside opportunities to gain knowledge, but more importantly, build connections with others in an industry that you want to get into provide you the confidence to actually say, yeah, I am good at what whatever it is that I'm doing. And in the end, it actually worked out great. So you said a few interesting things there. Um, you mentioned the name Pat McElhaney, who I believe is at XMC. And he's had a successful career in sponsorship and sport. And then yourself with your successful career, you both started in like the bar and hospitality business. And I mean, I started in the retail business when I was in high school, but a lot of people have said one of the best jobs you can have to start out is like a bartender or a wait as part of wait staff. Do you, do you have anything to say to that? And 
it must have something to do with like your path to become to create gen well now yeah 110 percent. i actually think that pat mcelaney taught me all i know about uh building relationships uh, from that experience but when i look back in hindsight now and i'm sure we'll get to my time at november but whether it was in the beverage alcohol industry whether it was in the hospitality industry or even when it was rallying people around a mustache and a common purpose and cause like Movember, what I now look back is I've always been driven and leaned into jobs that were about people and communities and connecting people. And I think the businesses, as we look forward, if you haven't built that community of people, because that, that community equates to loyalty. And if people know you, they buy your product, your brands, your whatever. And so I think for me, certainly, you know, those experiences in those industries have led me to really recognize that my strong point and what I love is people. And there's no question in my whole career, when I've ever looked to hire people, Jordan, there's a few things that I look for. First off, volunteer work. You know, do you understand that life is about more than you? Uh, have you worked in the hospitality and I will say or retail sector? And the reason I say both those, uh, Jordan, is because I believe that what those roles do is help you understand human beings. You understand people. You know, I used to work in the men's clothing shop at Simpsons. It was young men's clothing wear before I went into the hospitality side of things. And both those, you know, you have grumpy people, you have happy people, you have sad people. Certainly in the bar industry, the opportunity to connect with people before I had launched Genwell, long before. What you recognize is people come to a bar and oftentimes they just want to talk, you know, whether it was about work, whether it was about their wives, whether it was about, you know, troubles in, in some aspect of their life, a lot of times, or even if it was to celebrate, you know, a lot, a lot of times people were coming to bars to hang out with their community around the front of the bar. And I think that's what I loved was being a part of that community and playing that role almost like a social worker at times to help connect people and, and, and support them through the ups and downs that we all face. And I think that is directly linked to why I went into the alcohol business and then why I've launched Genwell as a human connection movement. For sure. And I think with that, let's move to when you got into Movember. And a few things I've learned from being in the not-for-profit space that you probably know better than anyone is a lot of times your biggest donors and biggest participants they're people that want to be part of something bigger than themselves and they want to be connecting with people. And and it's so interesting when you see that. But Movember, I mean, you you were the managing director of Canada and I believe Canada was the biggest country or maybe the second biggest country for Movember. I think it was started out of Australia and correct any of this if I'm wrong. But what made you go from the for-profit beer business to Movember. I mean, you've got beer and then you've got fun with mustaches and it's, <laughs> and, but what, what made you make that jump? Yeah, it's a, it's a story that I love to tell because I think it really is something that I believe in today and, and what guided me over there. And I will say that I, I led Movember in Canada from 2010 to 2015 and one small correction which I think is really, uh, you know, something that the team that I worked with uh, are really proud of is we were the number one fundraising country in the world for the five years that, that I was there. And, uh, and yes, it was started in Australia. And I think 
uh, we were the only team led uh, by somebody who wasn't the original founder of the uh, of the campaign of the movement out of Australia. And I think that allowed us to look more specifically at doing the right thing versus maybe some of the things that, you know, the, the campaign had been born into and that the founders believed in. Uh, we looked at it as, hey, what's right for Canada? What's right for our Mo Bros and Mo Sisters, which was awesome. But how I got there was a is a great story in my opinion because at Molson I did all the I I, I was always involved with the volunteer opportunities whether it was Toop Tuesday uh, whether it was uh, you know the United Way I always loved being uh, involved in charity and I have no idea frankly where that came from but I always believed in giving back I lost my dad as a kid so maybe maybe I understood what it was like to not have everything that you always wanted. And so I found myself doing all this charity stuff, and uh, I was leading a team of people on a project called Sub-Zero. We were launching the Sub-Zero Draft Tap, and uh, we also had a quality initiative. We were at a keg restaurant, the one out at the airport, and a gentleman on, on the team went into the washroom, and uh, a gentleman slapped him in the butt as he was walking over to the hand basin to wash his hand. He came back and told the story. And um, what happened was the man had just gotten his test results back from uh, his prostate cancer uh, exam, and he had beaten cancer. And so the kid comes back to our table, and I, I thought to myself, that is really weird because, you know, men don't touch each other uh, in the washroom 99.9% uh, .9 of the time. And so we sat there and said, wow, this guy just beat cancer. I, I'm assuming that's what it was. So I had to go ask the man. I said, hey, can you tell me what exactly just happened there? And um, uh, he basically told me the story. And we around the table uh, with the team decided that we wanted to come up with a campaign to raise funds and connect men who drink beer with the awareness that this man was trying to raise. That was his goal, was to raise the consciousness of all males about the importance of early detection for prostate cancer. So we reached out to the Prostate Cancer Organization in Canada and said, hey, we got an idea. They came back and suggested, hey, we've got this other thing called Movember. What do you think? And so having been a charity guy and having been involved in everything at Molson, I said, hey, I think we'd love to do that. So I jumped on, grew a mustache in 20, 2007. I was the only guy at Molson and took a lot of heat for it uh, back in 2007. But by 2011, I believe Molson raised $250,000 uh, for Movember. And uh, after being the volunteer chair of the Toronto Committee, I think in 2009, the CEO of uh, Movember was in town. I had a beer with him and he said, hey, I, I don't know uh, what you're thinking. Uh, I was just in the process of leaving Molson. And he said, um, if you're interested, we'd love to have you run Movember uh, Canada. And so literally just by doing the things, by being in places and helping people, associating yourself with campaigns that you believed in, whether it was because of the cause or the fun or whatever, you know, that's when you shine your brightest. And my message to everybody right now, because as we go through COVID-19, is there's going to be a lot of people with free time on their hands, whether it's because they're doing piecemeal work or whether because they've lost a job, whether because they're looking and seeking purpose. And I can't encourage people enough to go and find that cause or purpose in their life that will connect them to the things that will make them happy, whether it's because they know that they're doing good, whether it's because they're getting to execute one of the skills that they have, 
All of those things lead to you shining your brightest when you're doing work to help other people. And to me, that's why I ended up getting that job at running Movember Canada was because I was giving back, which makes me feel good. I was growing a silly mustache, which I thought was hilarious. And I was, it gave me something to talk about. Everybody who grew a mustache became, uh, it, it was a conversation starter with every person you walked by on the street that you were in a coffee shop with, whether you were in a meeting. And those are the types of things that actually make you have fun, engage with people and build bridges with those that you may never have talked to before, but just because you're doing good, helping other people and giving back, it gives you the opportunity to strike up a conversation. And this is the start of building relationships that help us lead more happy and healthy and fulfilling lives. That's amazing how he, the CEO met with you. And, and it's, it's also, I've always found it incredible that Canada was the number one country during those years, 2010 to 2015. So kudos for all of the work that you did. Did you know where you were going to lead? Like you said, you were kind of on the way out from leaving from Molson. Did you have any ideas at that point or were you hitting more of an exploratory stage? And then this, this came along. Yeah, um, as I left Molson, and I knew for probably six months before I left that I was leaving. And even with six months, I, I found it very difficult to go and find, uh, seek another job while I was working in a job that I really thought was, you know, my, the perfect job for me as a, as a human being. I had no idea, but I was leaving because I knew it was the right time for me because I didn't align with some of the uh, approaches that the others that I was working with in the marketing department believed in. So it was time for me to move on. I had no idea. I actually started up a pod. I actually started up a blog called uh, Pete Bombacci's Customer Experience Blog. And it was all about the ultimate customer experience. And I think it was really, Jordan, it was my effort, you know, like we just talked about prior to this podcast is it was my effort to put my perspective out there in the world and be a bit of a thought leader and to think about you know what I believed and I, I and I really did believe we needed to be as a as a beer company we needed to be customer centric in what are we trying to do whether it was on premise or or the general public it's like how do we do things that will help you know fulfill the customer need in what we do and so I took the break not knowing I just wanted to put some information out there and and really, uh, again, I think there was no plan. It was just following what I loved, following helping people, following having fun, volunteering, volunteering with great people. The great thing about volunteering for organizations is you tend to be surrounded by other empathetic, compassionate, and caring people. And when you're doing those volunteer roles, you're surrounded by those people who, if they're like you, they're probably socially inclined, they may have some people. And if you're looking for a, an opportunity, you never know where that next opportunity is going to come from. I, I, I almost despise is probably not the right word, but the word networking really bothers me. I'm a big believer in building relationships. And you do that not by showing up at a party and targeting the CEO to have a conversation with and network to get what you want out of them, but doing the right thing and actually building relationships with people whether it's over a beer, whether it's at an event, whatever, it's actually approaching those conversations and asking, you know, what can I do to help that organization, that charity, that person? What are they doing? 
because I believe that's what leads to longer, healthier relationships and more of a positive outcome from everything we do is that if we approach things in less of a transactional nature and more about, hey, how you doing? How's your family? What's going on? And I think the pandemic is actually really helping us all get to this place, which is we are recognizing now more than ever how much we need each other. And I think we just got a little distracted over the last couple of decades. Tell me a little bit about the five years, because I know that, you know, you were this fundraising machine. You were the number one country in November, a five-year run. Did you think I might be there for five years? Were you scared that this run may come to an end? Did you think anything about what may be your next career move? And, you know, if you want to speak about it, what ultimately made you move on from November? Yeah, it's uh, honestly, it was an incredible five-year journey. And I don't think I ever go into a job, Jordan, thinking that I'm ever going to leave it. And maybe that's the wrong approach. But when I was at Molson, I thought I would be the CEO one day. And when I was at Movember, I could easily have seen myself staying at Movember for the rest of my career. Certainly when I started, it was attractive. You know, my mom my mom always wondered what I did with my degree because I became a salesperson because in her in in the old days, you know, selling was kind of the 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 low end of the totem pole. And I said, "Look, mom, I'm I'm selling mustaches now." And she was like, "Really? That's what you've done with your degree? Now you're selling mustaches?" And so I always thought it was funny that uh, you know I'd taken my skill set and gone over to sell mustaches, but uh, moving over to the charity space was something that that I quickly became, which I quickly realized was made for me in the the idea that, you know, when you get a chance, and you know this from working at Princess Margaret, waking up every day and knowing that what you're doing is helping people, there is nothing in the world like it. And so I quickly became, you know, addicted to what I did at Movember and probably worked, you know, way too hard over the course of five years, experienced an incredible incredible occurrence, which would be, uh, and I will say that, you know, I think the team did an incredible job, but we also had something happen that you can't schedule, you can't plan. And it was called uh, Jack Layton, uh, Honorable Jack Layton passing of complications from prostate cancer while he was wearing one of the biggest, bushiest mustaches. I can't remember if he had it right at the end, but honestly, uh, the passing of Jack Layton, which I think would have been in 2011, uh, one month out from uh, November, became the catalyst for Canadians from coast to coast, from all walks of life. Because whether you were an NDPer or not an NDPer, you liked Jack because Jack stood for a better world. And so we had every NDP caucus member, every person of the MDP party, every Mobro. Uh, grew a mustache. Jay and uh, Dan from TSN grew mustaches. We had uh, all the NHLers were growing mustaches. Everybody jumped on board all of a sudden and literally it blew up. And that was with five people on the team and we had our interns that came in just for the campaign. But, you know, our cost ratio, I think that year was less than five cents on the dollar. Not sustainable, as you know, in the charity space, but you know, quite the quite the journey and quite the pace uh, that first year when we raised forty two million dollars for men's health, 
And at that time, we were only in prostate cancer, which created another issue, which was, you know, the prostate cancer organization that we funded, uh, you know, couldn't ramp up from, you know, I think we were giving them, you know, smaller, less than 10 million. And now all of a sudden we were giving them, you know, close to 30 million, 32 million, I think we gave them. An amazing uh, journey from a campaign that when I started, people were just starting to, what is this thing trying to under, how do I donate to a mustache? And then, you know, over the course of five years, in the last year, we started to see, we saw in the fourth year it petered off. And in the fifth year, you could see it was starting to head into decline. Actually, I think in the fourth year, it headed into decline. And at the end of the day, you know, my reason for leaving was because, you know, some of the directions that were coming from, you know, the head office in, in Australia, where they were taking back some of the opportunity to run the Canadian uh, organization for the best way that the, for the reasons that had made us successful, we were losing the reins to control what was happening in our marketplace. And as a result, you know, I decided it was the right time for me to part ways and figure out what was going to come next. But, you know, to your bigger question, which was, did you do that with a plan in place? No, I did it knowing that where I was was not the place for me. And that, you know, I've always found that if you do the right thing every day, then, you know, the right opportunities will present itself. So before we jump to where you went next in Genwell, you said, you know, you didn't really have an, a, pl a plan in place and you, you knew the right opportunity might, might come along. I had someone on here the second episode. He's a close buddy of mine, John Syme, and he uh, was in the military reserves for 10 years and now works in advertising. And he always said to me, they taught him in the military, plan that the plan won't go to plan. <laughs> um, and I think that people in their careers, and I don't know if you see this with people you've hired, do you think that people have in their mind this perfect setup of how their career is going to go? And as soon as things don't maybe land in place, they get discouraged? Because it almost sounds like you've really taken the approach of knowing what your strong suits are being around the right people, giving back and volunteering, and having faith that things will fall into place for you. Well, let me first start off by saying you made it sound like I had all my ducks in a row and that I've always been, you know, calm, cool, and collected. And, and that is far from the truth. Um, you know, like all of us, uh, I've been through my ups and downs, you know, questioning leaving what I would say were two roles that I thought were going to be my career ending roles that I would head off into uh, and head, head off into whatever retirement looks like today, having either been, you know, a senior person at Molson or a senior person, you know, either in Canada or globally at November, but then recognizing that, you know, the world isn't always the way you want it to be. And that, you know, for your own health and your own wellness and your own uh, happiness, that sometimes you got to part way and go find your new uh, sandbox to play in. But here's my here's what I would suggest to you, and I think this is this is where the education system has failed, and where I think many people are still. I, I, I'm hearing less of it now, so I think we're finally getting there. Which is, you know, in the old days, we'd always hear people say, "Hey, what's your five year plan? What's your ten year plan?" And I think up until maybe 2000, maybe 2005, a kid 
you know, a 20 something year old, you could say to them, Hey, what's your plan? What's your, where do you want to go? And you could literally see a company, maybe two companies. And within one or two companies, you could see the progression. You could say, I'm going to start as a, you know, I think of the brand side, I kind of go assistant brand manager, brand manager, senior brand manager, director, vice president. You know, I might have to go into channel marketing. I might have to spend some time in sales to get some other knowledge, but you could see that career path in front of you. But I would suggest to you that in the last decade, and I don't think this is, you know, this isn't rocket science. I'm not saying anything that most people that are, you know, conscious aren't aware of. But today, I think that there's a skill that young people, all of us need to become much more uh, comfortable with. And that's just, you know, flexibility and, and, and understanding that, frankly, again, tied to the Genwell project, we are all going to go through ups and downs in our lives and in our careers. And it isn't always going to go the way you want. And whether it's because we're working in the gig economy or whether it's because, you know, you look at something like a pandemic where everything's going along hunky dory and whether it's a business or a job and all of a sudden in one week, you literally go from, hey, life is good to holy shnikes, my business has been shut down or my company just let me go because, you know, they have no revenues that stuff is going to happen. And it's going to happen more frequently as we move forward. So I think there's two things. Number one, be prepared. Focus on your skill set. Focus on understanding what the future needs are going to be. And number two, surround yourself with the people who will be there for you when the times get tough and also when you get the opportunity to celebrate the wins. Because there will be both as there are in everybody's life. But I think for too long, because we could see the path and over the last few decades, because we there was no fear of not having a job, there was jobs, there was money, there was bonuses, there was pay increases, we thought we didn't need each other. And therefore, we were just focused on you know, getting to the next level and not worrying about the, the roadkill that we left along the way. And I think the future is going to be a much more community support group that's going to help us all go through, you know, the challenges that the employment world will 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 put towards us over the coming day, week, month, year, frankly, and decades to come. I don't think it's going to get any easier. It's only only going to make it more important for us to build our skill sets and also, you know, build that community around us. That's key. And it's funny, um, before every podcast, I write down a few points. And one of the things I wrote down is you've really created the flexibility for yourself now to focus on a movement that's very important to you and I think to, to the world. How did you go about, in your mind, creating the Genwell project? And maybe more importantly, how did you go about being like, okay, I'm going to be a volunteer for three years and still figure out how to bring in income in other ways. And, you know, maybe you have some support in other places, but you've really set up your life in my opinion, so you can, can do this. How, what, what's the lessons you learned through that? And can you just tell the, the listeners about Genwell? Yeah. And first off, I want to say thank you because, and I hope that you will, Share your support for Genwell, you know, beyond the podcast, because I think this is a, a movement. Uh, there's a an expert in Toronto, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Quam McKenzie, who's a thought leader on the causes of social illness or the um, uh, the social determinants of health. 
And he told me three and a half years ago, Pete, you're going to be successful with this movement, but you need to know one thing. And I said, what's that? And he said, it's going to take you time because most people have no idea what you're talking about. And so uh, to your point, and it's actually uh, just coming up on four years now, Jordan, when I left Movember, I spent some time, uh, you know, I think it was probably eight months before I took a consulting gig with an organization called Kerkins out of uh, out of Australia. I did that for a year. And in that time off and also working at Kerkins, I was working remotely. I, I had lots of time to think. And I'd always been, you know, the one of the original inspirations for the general project was the summer blackout of 2003 when, you know, the power went off. I was saying earlier, we all got connected. And I thought, wow, that's something special. And then my experience both in the hospitality industry and at Movember and seeing the power and the smile on people's faces of bringing people together, I'd, I'd been thinking about it for over a decade. And finally, uh, both my wife and also my coach, who I, uh, I give a lot of credit to, said, like, Pete, if you don't do this, you're going to regret this the rest of your life. And, you know, you and I were chatting about Seth Godin before this and why you started up this podcast. And they basically said, like, just put up a website, like, just start and just start putting the message out there. Because I don't I didn't know what I know today about how important human connection was. But after four years, I now consider myself an expert. You know, I'm not doing the research, but I can read the research that's being done by schools around the world, by experts around the world, you know, leaders like Dr. Robert Waldinger out of Harvard and Dr. Vivek Murthy, who was the former Surgeon General in the U.S. Like these people are the experts that I look to who have the information. What I wanted to do was to create a movement using that research that got people connected. So coming out of November uh, and doing a few other things to sustain some income to keep the lights on for my family, it was really a matter of, I, I just had to try it. I had to do this because I believed so much in what I was reading was a gap in society. My whole life, I've been told to go to the gym and I've been told to exercise, but nobody ever told me how important it was to build relationships with other people. You know, certainly in our families, we were, you know, we'd get together for Sunday dinner if you were lucky. Um, you know, but over the last couple of decades, we've all been too busy. So those things didn't happen as often. You know, churches don't happen anymore. Bowling leagues don't happen anymore. The Lions Club and Rotary aren't as big as they used to be because we were living in the most individualistic society in history. And yet when I went and read the research, it was clear to me that the single largest thing that makes us happy in life, this is the Harvard study, suggests that the single largest thing that makes us happy is spending time with people. It also reduces anxiety and depression, increases empathy, compassion, resilience, strengthens your immune system, uh, strengthens your self-confidence, and unbelievably, it can increase your chances of living longer by up to 50%. And I thought to myself, Jordan, how come nobody told me this stuff? And part of the reason is it's only really come out and been validated over the last couple of decades. But more importantly, it's because the, the systems are set up to do what we've always done. Hey, go to the gym. Hey, eat better. We have the Canadian Food Guide. We used to have participation, amazing programs in their time. And now we needed a movement that actually reminded us all just how important human connection was for our happiness and health. And in most cases, the only time we talk about human connection or up until Gen Well, 
was usually in times of crisis or in recovery from, you know, addiction, from a mental health crisis. That's when people talked about, oh, you should talk to people. That's an important part of getting through those challenging times. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. Like, what? why do we wait till people are sick before we give them the information that will keep them healthy? And so that really was the, the impetus behind the GenWell project was I believed I fell into information that although it wasn't rocket science and it was available in books and Maslow told us about it in 1943 as part of his hierarchy of needs, that I had to do this because the world needs to know how important this is for our, our health and happiness. And recent research and talking to some experts recently, I hadn't seen this, but an expert said, Pete, it's more important that we stay socially connected than it is going to the gym or eating better at this point. Well, to me, if that isn't validation, that we all need to be hearing this message and, and creating catalysts to get us connected, then I don't know what is. And that's what the GenWell is. We want to be a human connection movement that was a catalyst for all of us to A, hear the important message of how important it is for our health, and number two, be the catalyst that allows us to all do it at the same time, because when we all do something at the same time, it makes it easier for everybody to participate. And that's what the GenWell project is. And now that we're in the middle of COVID-19, I don't need to tell anybody just how important our human connections is because we're missing them each and every day. And so now our role in the midst of the pandemic is to actually remind us all about reaching out to one another. Who's that one more person today that you could reach out to because you might actually not only change their day, but you might change their life. And whether it's in the middle of the pandemic or when we get to the other side of this, it is going to be so important for people to understand this information and more importantly, get them to take action. Yeah. And I, I think what you're doing is incredible. I, I'd love to get my organization involved. I know you were doing something it, like twice a year, You were hold, uh, companies were holding social gatherings, correct? Yeah. So we were focused on two weekends a year. Yes. And that, that was about being the catalyst. And it was really open to anybody to get their team together because everybody need, needed that catalyst because we were busy. But right now what we're doing, Jordan, and maybe there's an opportunity here for you or anybody who's listening to the podcast is we're doing a lot of speaking to corporations because we have employees working remotely. And whether you're struggling with loneliness and isolation because you live alone, or maybe it's cabin fever because you got five people locked up in one home. Maybe it's because of homeschooling. Maybe it's because you're cooking every meal. Maybe it's financial pressure. Maybe there's relationship issues because none of us expected to live 24 hours a day in the same four walls. So again, people need to understand that human interaction, whether it's virtual or, is it, or through physical distancing, is critical for all of us right now to get through these challenging times in the best way possible. And so if you or anybody wants to talk about, you know, getting us in to have a conversation with your remote staff right now, hey, I'd love to love to start up that conversation. That, that'd be cool. And I'm going to look into that. And it's genwellproject.org. Is that correct for anyone that, that wants to look into it? That's that's the website. And certainly we encourage, we post every day on our social platforms. Our Our website right now is really structured for those two weekends. And we're in the midst okay. of considering where we're going to go next in regards to our website. But every day on all of our social platforms, we post tips, tools, ideas, and information about the importance of human connection and, and ways that people can take action 
because every one of us has an opportunity to reach out to other people, not only for our own health, but for their health as well. And so we want to keep inspiring people through the pandemic to actually reach out and make it happen. And I, I didn't think the podcast might go this this way, but something I'm thinking about is, you know, it's not a straight line has a, a relation to careers. Uh, someone I was speaking to spoke a lot about his family life. Someone else was talking a lot about health. When you think about Genwell and it not being a straight line, you know, it was the blackout of 2003 and now COVID and a pandemic we never saw coming that have really shown people how important connection is. We were all kind of on this straight line thinking, okay, we have our phones, we have technology, we have our career. We don't really have to care that much about our, our connections or reaching out. And I think it takes people until they're literally close to death or a pandemic to realize how important relationships are to them. Is there anything you want to say on that and how things like a pandemic have changed kind of our, our thinking around community? Yeah, Jordan, um, you know, uh, what I want to say is you're a smart man. You know, if I look back to the blackout of 2003, you know, it's probably the easiest crisis that we could have ever gone through because all that really happened was somebody turned off the TV, turned off the phone and turned off the computer. Like, uh, okay, the fridge was off, but we all fired up our barbecues wherever we were and brought people together. And that was the power of that. But that was almost a, a trial run because what was powerful about the blackout is that we were all in it together. 50 million people on the Eastern seaboard went without power for two to seven days. And now the pandemic, you know, people go through their own crisis behind their own four walls every day of the year. But most people aren't, are, are so fearful to share it because we live in this, you know, hyper-perfect world that we see on social media. So God forbid any of us should be struggling with a relationship or finances or job or, you know, any of the things that we will challenge. The power of the pandemic is that we are going through it together. And so I wrote an article about this uh, and uh, it's on Thrive Global. It's on my LinkedIn. And the title is Permission, Excuse, and Purpose. We have now got an excuse to reach out to. We've been given the permission to reach out digitally. We now have an excuse to talk to one another. So I find my neighbors talking to me more now because we're in a pandemic. Because the first thing you can say is, hey, how are you holding up in the pandemic? Because before this, A, we were in this world where it was cool to be busy. It's like, no, I don't have time. You know, yes. we, we pull into the parking lot, into our driveway, and we rush into our house. We didn't want to talk to the neighbor. What we all need, and you said something in, in asking the question, I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I can't recall it, but it was the fact about we're all recognizing that we are in this together. In this pandemic, we have to trust one another that we are taking the precautions to stay COVID-free. And on the other side of this COVID pandemic, what we're going to wake up to is the recognition that if somebody is struggling financially that lives in your street or is your a family member or you know who may be struggling with a health issue or diagnosed with an illness or whatever we are going to need each other more than ever before we are waking up to the reality that we are in this together and although we all experience this life differently we need each other not only for our mental ha happiness and health because of a conversation 
takes us out of our own heads and puts us out there for other, but for our physical health, because, you know, anxiety and stress leads to physical illness, but also to get through the challenges of not being able to pay your mortgage, losing your job, having relationship issues, all the challenges, you know, working remotely right now. Most of us were never trained to work remotely. We are waking up to what the future may hold for a, a large percentage of the population, which is, you know, we've got to Shopify and Twitter. I think it was Shopify and Twitter who've now said that they're never going back to the office. And so yes. we, have, we have people who have never been put into the situation of working remotely or are going to be doing that ongoing. And that, you know, fortunately, hopefully kids will be going back to school. So that won't be layered on top. But we all still need to be get to get comfortable with the fact that you may not see people 10 hours a day. And so this is not good for our health. And I think companies are going to have to find that happy medium. It's great to save costs. And I think the research already shows uh, there's been lots of research done that shows that, you know, even employees who had the option to work from home decided after having that opportunity that they wanted to have some connection back in the workplace. Because we do not thrive as human beings working on our own. We thrive through human interaction and a highly connected workplace is more, more productive, more collaborative, more trustworthy, more loyal, more higher retention. Everything a business wants in the world today happens because we bring people together. So it's great that we can save money on the front by, you know, telling everybody to work from home. But I think in the in the long run, and the long run not being very long, a year down the road, I think you're going to see people saying, hey, we got to get people back together. How do we do this? What do we do? And it's because people don't understand how important human connection is, not only for our own happiness and health, but for the success of businesses. For sure. And I think that's where Genwell and your movement might even become more powerful as we go to this work from home in the long term. Pete, thank you so much for coming on. And I feel like we could speak for a few more hours. But I do have one one last question that I'm interested in. As somebody who, you know, was in the beer industry and sales and marketing, and then was questioned or asked about why are you growing this mustache, leading Movember, and then now the Genwell project, and you said, someone said to you, if you don't do it, you're going to regret it. What is your advice looking back on those times when you might have thought, okay, I'm feeling imposter syndrome, or people don't really think this is the right way to go, my mom doesn't know what I'm doing because of the degree I got, or should I really take a jump and do this Genwell movement? What's your advice to people listening to get over that fear and to just go for it and kind of put those other thoughts aside to really become who you want to become? This is almost going to sound self-serving, Jordan. I'm going to say connect with other people because okay. when you connect with other people, that is how you get to the solutions. What they say about human connection is it helps you cope with the current situation you're in. It helps you find solutions that will help you overcome any challenges. And it helps you build the resilience that will keep you happy and healthy as you move forward. In every situation, I, as I told you, you know, what got me to take that step was not me. I certainly had batted around in my head, you know, only probably a half a million hours. But what got me to make the next step was having the people that I trusted the most say to me, 
you got to give it a go. You can't walk away from this. You've been talking about this for a decade. Now just go do it. And I think when we surround ourselves and we build that community of people around that we lean on when we're going through challenging times, when we're making big decisions, when we're trying to change directions or take on a new challenge, if you surround yourself with the people that care about you the most and you are open and vulnerable and having those great conversations with them, you'll get the right answer because you'll hear it five different ways from Sunday from five or 10 different people who all have a perspective. And our job, even in management, in leadership, is to always to listen to people and then make the decision. And I think the worst thing that anybody can do is make decisions in isolation because now you're ruminating in your own head. And trust me, you'll never tell yourself that you're the greatest, smartest, most attractive, most successful person when you're talking to yourself in your own head. But other people will be happy to share with you how good you are, the good you can do, and the difference you can make if you actually chase your dream and do something special in the world. So surround yourself with the people in the community that will help you get through the ups and downs that we're all going to go through in our lives. I, I think that's a that's an awesome answer because if I think back about my career, it's all been through connections I've made. I landed at the Princess Margaret because I met a guy named Nick Taylor, who you know, back in 2012. I started the podcast through having conversations with other people. So I think you're bag on. Pete, if people want to follow, what's the main social platform that Genwell uses? Or are there a few of them that you like people to follow? Yeah, it's funny because I'd say if you're following us from a business perspective because you're interested in knowing how why human connection is important in the workplace, follow us on LinkedIn. If you're young and Instagram's your platform, go there. If you're on Facebook, you know, we try to target our messaging for each of those channels. So whatever is most relevant to people, they can head over, follow those platforms. And when we get to uh, Genwell weekends, the next one will be in September. You know, head on over to genwellproject.org where you can sign up for our newsletter. We have a monthly newsletter and help us all stay more connected and help make the world a happier and healthier place one face-to-face conversation at a time. That's awesome. I appreciate your time, Pete, and it's been a fun conversation. So thanks for doing this. Jordan, my pleasure, brother. I, I love the, the story of what got you going, and I'm happy, uh, I'm happy I could play a part in, uh, in making it a reality. And I think no different than what we just talked about. It's like, that's awesome that you're chasing a new dream, something that's been on your plate for a while. So that's awesome, my friend, and happy to be a part of it.